going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. I'm Doug Cunnington, and today I'm thrilled to have Will Hatton on the show. Will is the genius behind The Broke Backpacker, a phenomenally successful travel platform that at its peak garnered an audience of 1.5 million and currently boasts around 800,000 monthly unique visitors. But Will is far more than just the broke backpacker. He's an entrepreneur who's ventured into several business endeavors from establishing a tour company that leads adventures into destinations like Pakistan to pioneering Bali's first co-working hostel for aspiring digital nomads. Will has done it all. He's also created physical products like a protein bar, a gear company that sells everything from hammocks to backpacks. In the last decade, Will has launched around 20 businesses, which sounds like uh, too many to me, but I'm, I'm assuming we're going to get into some of the stories here, and basically become an authority in not just travel, but also the worlds of digital marketing, affiliate marketing, product creation, and entrepreneurship in general. So if you're looking for insights on how to start a successful online venture, scale it, and pivot into new domains, you're in for a treat. So grab your notebooks. And Will, how's it going today? That's quite the intro, Doug. So thank you very much for that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's going well over here. And for the people that are just uh, listening, I encourage you to check out the YouTube video. Will has some amazing tattoos, some great sleeves, and we could just do the whole episode on stories of tattoos, but uh, I, I'm aspiring not to just be an entrepreneur like yourself, but to have sleeves like that. So it looks, looks great, and it's a pleasure to meet you. Now, yeah. I don't know you very well. Our mutual friend, Rob Atkinson, introduced us to each other. So just so I get to know a little bit more about you, how did you meet Rob initially? Uh, so I met Rob in the hallways of the Chiang Mai SEO conference, I guess in like 2017, um, a while back. And um, Rob, Rob's partner and my partner at the time were both from Iran. And we got talking about that because you don't meet many Iranian people outside of Iran. Um, and yeah, me and Rob was having like a lot of, a lot of dual interests in travel and in SEO. I was very fortunate because at, at the time, I had only recently learned what SEO stood for. And Rob very generously gave me some of his time and tips, which very much helped me. That's amazing. Yeah. Rob and I were in a mastermind group a little bit before that. And then he and I partnered on one site and, you know, finished up that project, but he's been a a good friend for several years. It's hard to believe. I think I've known him for almost a decade now. So when you met Rob in uh, Chiang Mai at the SEO conference, did you already have broke backpacker? Like what, when did you start that? What inspired you to start that? So the Broke Backpacker started in January 2013. So it recently had its 10-year birthday. Before that, it did exist, but as like an email newsletter to like 35 people. Um, And for two years, I was living rough in India and hitchhiking and living in train stations and couch surfing and working on farms and doing all, all kinds of just random stuff as a young man on a quest to find himself. And um I was just writing these long emails that nobody was reading. And uh, eventually somebody emailed me back and was like, hey, you're pretty good at this writing malarkey. Why don't you try actually starting a blog? So I started my blog and it had no pictures and it was just blocks of text. Um, But I had the advantage of 
creating content um, around a theme that really wasn't being covered on the internet at the time, which was like extreme budget travel, like traveling for like $10 a day. And also traveling to places that were just more further out there, like Iran, Pakistan, Venezuela, Myanmar. The countries didn't really have very much content about them online at, at all, which meant that when I created this content, it would pretty much automatically go to the first positions. And so I was able to generate uh, a reasonably sized audience pretty quickly just because of that. Did you have a writing background? No, actually, like I'm very dyslexic and I couldn't read or write until I was like 10. I have a special writing teacher, the, the, full, the full works. Um, but I'd always kept diaries. And as I, as I got older, I was a prolific journaler. Um, and I, I love to read, like, um, from, from when I could read. I've always loved to read, like, a lot of history books and a lot of adventure books. So I would often be in these countries reading a book that would really, like, pull you deeper into the country by, like, helping you appreciate things that maybe you'd miss otherwise. And that would just get my creative juices flowing. So it was also an interesting experience for me as later on in my career to change my writing so that it wasn't just descriptive beautiful creative writing which is what i actually really enjoy doing so it like had keywords jammed in there and headers and stuff like it was a, it was definitely a big change did you have imposter syndrome or any hang-ups on actually writing again you, you said you had uh or you have dyslexia and you have to like work through and it's obviously a lot more challenging than someone who you know they started reading when they were three years old or something like that did you have any hangups like publishing, putting yourself out there, being criticized, that kind of thing? Um, not about my writing, um, but I think that about the topic of living my lifestyle in the way that I was, I like didn't really receive any positive feedback from anyone when I was like, I'm going to go and live in train stations in India and try and make it as a writer. Everyone was like, you should get a job and a mortgage. So I was a bit anxious about doing that. Um, but I found that my writing was quite positively received. And I mean, it wasn't like it wasn't like it blew up overnight because it definitely didn't. But I, I got the odd email from someone saying that it had been useful or it had been inspiring. And that was very much enough to keep me going. I, I definitely had a huge chip on my shoulder and was trying to prove something. Um, so to get the odd bit of occasional positive feedback, like that would be fueled for like three months, you know? Amazing. And well, let's talk about that. I feel like this could be like a three hour long episode, but we're on the other side of the world. So I know it's very late there. It won't be three hours, but <laughs> I'm just like, I want to talk to you more and more. Will. so did you go to university? Um, it sounds like maybe some of your family and friends that were like, what are you doing? Right. Why are you traveling? So can you talk a little bit about sort of the transition and some of those early years and kind of an open question, but I'll let you tell the story. Yeah, I mean, like, I'll, I'll just give the highlights. I mean, I was bullied horribly at school. Um, like I was a pretty overweight kid. I'm also like only five foot seven. It's not the best combination. Um, and I had a really hard time at school. So I was like, I am going to join the army. And they are going to turn me into a man. And that was my plan. Um, and then I decided to go and do a little bit of traveling before I joined the army. And upon my travels, I got horrifically injured, spent three weeks in a Costa Rican hospital, and then had to like go home, move back in with my parents, and like basically be bedridden for several months whilst my mother would put like 
job applications, none of which were for the army, on my bed like every day. So there was like a lot of pressure to to be a teacher or to be an electrician or to like do something safe. Um, and I, I put on a ton of weight again, which I'd worked really hard to get rid of so that I could join the army. The army were like, sorry, son, your leg is permanently fucked up. You are not coming in the army. Um, and I was like, okay, so I, I've saved a bit of money. Um, I worked some jobs. I did like a load of buying and selling on eBay. Like I was going around charity shops and picking up books. And then I checked check my basically dial up Blackberry. And if I could make like 20 pence on buying this book, I would take it home and sell it on eBay. Made some money and, and went to India. Uh, and I, the reason I went to India was because I could get a one year visa, um, which meant I wouldn't have to worry about visa costs. That was like literally the reason. Um, and then I spent a lot of time hitchhiking, living, learning, having amazing and horrific experiences in like rural India. Um, and that, as it turned out, that turned me into a man rather than blowing people up. So win-win. Yeah. And you hear that's an amazing story and it's, it sounded heartbreaking, right? Like as you're, you're going along and you hit these, these rougher patches and you hear, uh, you know, a lot of writers, they go out and they travel, they, ha- they experience the world before they can start writing, right? Nobody wants to hear about someone who, uh, whatever, they're, they're, they come from a good family, they just go to school and they, they haven't faced any challenges or whatever. So I think, I imagine those hardships, those uh, challenges you ran into traveling made it really relatable in your blogging do you have any comments on that yeah definitely i think that um i was always quite open to like poking fun at myself and at the things that i was experiencing not in like an unkind way but in a hey look like i was on an indian sleeper train and whilst going to the bathroom in the dark i ended up covered in shit and you can make that into a pretty funny story if you if you if you are that way inclined. Um, so yeah, I think I think trying to be relatable and, and not and you know this was before Instagram and everything anyway. But there was always people in the travel space who were like, "Travel is amazing. It's just wonderful. There's no hardship. There's no trouble." Maybe that's true if you've got a lot of money to travel. But if you're traveling like on a budget, stuff absolutely goes wrong. It, it's when things go wrong that you tend to learn lessons. Um, and it's when things that go wrong. If you if you've kind of got if you coded yourself to try and find the funny, it can be pretty hilarious. Um, and so that was the kind of stuff I was trying to share. Yeah, I feel like that would be a pretty funny scene in a movie that I would like and really enjoy. So, okay, so let let's move on. Let's uh, jump ahead. And I mentioned at the intro, your blog got. 1.5 million visitors, I think, per month at its peak, and you grew yeah. it from scratch. So, how how did you grow it? You you talked about meeting Rob and um in Chiang Mai, learning SEO, all that stuff, and you know you were toiling away and working for like three, four years or, or more, right? Uh, it's yeah. been around longer. So, how'd you get it to so much traffic? Yeah, well, I mean, I wish it was just like a, a simple one-word answer and then everybody could go home and have gigantic websites. Um, I think, as you said, I put in a lot of work beforehand, but I think learning how to scale content, how to hire the right team, how to find traffic, and also like learning how to differentiate between when it was worth me figuring out a learning curve between somebody versus somebody else figuring out a learning curve. That was all... 
important stuff. But I couldn't get to any of that until I made like a little bit of money because for ages, the broke backpacker, which was my only income and I really had no savings, was making like 500 to to $1,000 a month. And that was from selling dodgy casino links. So like, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't very reliable. Um, when I was in Pakistan, I was recording a lot of that on Snapchat and it was being very positively received. So I basically dropped a PayPal link into my Snapchat and was like, yo, does anybody want to come on a tour with me to Pakistan? Here's the link. And it was like sold out in a day. And I was like, oh, fucking great. But now I've got to like figure out how I'm going to run this tour around Pakistan. You know, a country that I know quite well, but which I've spent three months in. It isn't that much time. Um, and I've got these people from all over the world coming over expecting me to travel around Pakistan. So I behaved very sensibly and I immediately spent all of the money that I had been given <laughs> on like trying to scale the broke backpacker with the rationale that I had six months to make that money back so that I could actually afford to run the tour. And luckily I was able to make that money back. Um, a big advantage for me running the Broke Backpacker has been it's quite a visible and quite a desirable job finder. I seen people email me all the time. They're like, oh, I like what you're doing. Can I come work for you? So most of the people that work for me now I've met on the road or have emailed me directly. Um, and that was really crucial in the early stages because I was able to get people to contribute content to the site for not very much money because I didn't have very much money. It was even like within the brand. So people were like, not really expecting to get paid very much and i was able to use the money that i had earned from the tour company in, in hiring some people and expanding into having a filipino va team which just changed everything i mean that completely changed everything like and hundreds of hours had to go into building and training them until they were able to provide the incredible value that they provide still today um but like that was one of the bigger wins for us for sure uh, it was a very long journey, and I mean, up up until COVID, we were just crushing it. It was it was ridiculous, and then obviously COVID came along and destroyed us, and destroyed a lot of the other ventures that I was in as well, because almost everything I was doing was in was in travel, basically. Got it. Can you go over some milestones? You you shared uh, you know some of the traffic numbers. You mentioned yeah. you know five hundred to a thousand dollars a month. Um, with uh, selling links and that sort of thing. So yeah. yeah, take us through maybe like the growth curve and I would love to know revenue. Um, I know yeah. we not, might not be able to share everything, but if you can give people a sense of what the site was earning and then afterwards, I'm going to ask you about your team and stuff because obviously you've grown it quite yeah. a bit. So, so yeah, let's talk about the milestones along the way so people can understand how much time you put in before you hit yeah, some of those sure. uh, peaks. So the start, site started in 2013. It was making about $1,000 in 2015. I then launched the tour company, which would give me cash injections of between 12 to 16 grand pretty easily by me basically spending two weeks in the country leading a tour. And that enabled me to grow things further. By the time we got to like 2018, we were hitting like three and a half to five grand a month um, from all, all affiliate basically. Um, and then then that just exploded. Like it absolutely exploded. It, it quickly went to five figures and then it went to six figures and then it just like kept climbing. Um, that was because of a couple of reasons. Firstly, um, we figured out a few series of content that we could do, which enabled us to like put stuff out on a much bigger scale. 
Secondly, I started forming much closer relationships with the affiliates that we were working with. I actually went to London to visit some of them and was able to negotiate some commission structures that are like, honestly ridiculous. I'm amazed they gave them to me. Um, so that definitely made a big difference. You know, it's, 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 it's great if you can get more clicks, but it's easier just to make more money out of the clicks you're already receiving. Um, so that made a big difference. Building up the team made a big difference. We're chugging along real nice. Everything's fantastic. And then COVID. And we go from making six figures a month to losing five figures a month of like my savings, basically, just to keep the team employed. So I doubled down during that time. I actually hired some more people. We did a complete site rebuild, which was expensive and time-consuming, but made the site a lot faster. And after COVID, I would say that we've recovered to about 50% of where we were, which is good money. It's not the crazy money we were on before. There's a few reasons for that, though. And I think one of those reasons is that pre-COVID and post-COVID, just how Google is arranging the SERPs is completely different. Like we had a lot of featured snippets before and most of those are gone now. There's a lot more ads above the fold. So even if you're in position, if you were in position two before and you're in position two now, position two might actually be like position five, as you know, right? So I think that's part of it. Um, and now a couple of things I should mention along the way, like when we found that we were really crushing it with the affiliate marketing side of things, I was like, okay, so the logical way to make more money out of this is to look at our top performing sales or top performing products and to do our own version of those products. So we started doing like packable day packs, the so ones that fold down and microfiber towels and hammocks, nothing too technical, nothing that could like break. Um, and we were shipping them from China and that was going like quite well and had room to, to go to very well, but basically COVID increased um, shipping prices by like 400%. And so that's done now, that's finished. Um, and and that, that was, yeah, I mean, COVID was hard hard to work with for sure. Man, devastating. And did, it sounds like you didn't have any, say like corporate or operations or logistics or product design or fill in the blank. You didn't have any specific education or experience in any of these areas, no. right? Okay, yeah. we'll come back to that um, before I forget about your team. So you did mention that you pulled a team together uh, in the early days. It was your peers that were yeah. traveling. They had great stories to tell. They were your friends. They were working for cheap. And then you grew, um, it sounds like a pretty big team. So talk about growing the team. Yeah, so we've got about uh, 16 full-timers at the moment, plus our Filipino VA team, which is 10 strong, but with one point of contact. And she's been with me for like five, six years now. Um, so we've got like a long-standing relationship. Um, building, honestly, like it's, I don't know if this is like an answer that is very replicatable, uh, rep replicable, um, but um, a lot of the people that work for me, I've, I've met them on the road and I've been like, hey, I like you. Do you want a job? Um, and a lot of the time when you get talking to people, they're like, wait, hang on, you're going to allow me to earn somewhere between 1400 to two grand a month whilst traveling and pay me to write about it. And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, fuck yeah. So, I mean, we're able to really retain good people, um, which is fantastic. And I mean, to be honest, if I had found a job like this whilst traveling, I might never have gone into entrepreneurship because it's like, it's a pretty good job, right? Um, so yeah, we're very lucky. And now the way it's, the way it's structured is I've got like four managers and they've each got like three, four people under them. 
Um, we arrange, we, we organize on Trello and on Asana and just, just keep everything really organized and really fresh. And I, I mostly just do the strategy now and writing the occasional post and training new writers so that their tone is correct. Um, all of the like day to day is handled by the team now. Perfect. So where did you learn your CEO skills, your operations skills, HR and all that stuff? Did you have any books or mentors or uh, anything like that? Honestly, um, no books or mentors spring to mind. I mean, Tools of Titans by Tim Ferriss is a great read and all entrepreneurs should read it. I'm not sure if that necessarily taught me anything about people management. I will say I've made a lot of mistakes um and i've i've had i've been stolen from i've lost things to people who actually not have lost things to um i've had people getting close with me and take advantage of me and that was again like some childhood wounds coming up about like not feeling worthy and feeling like this fat kid that's got to prove himself like it's funny i i actually let a couple of people rob me blind and i even kind of knew it was happening at the time mm. You live, you live and you learn, you live and you learn. And like I've, I've been doing this for over 10 years now and I've certainly learned some lessons. I think that the team that I've got now is the strongest it's ever been. Um, and I think that the lessons that I've learned, my whole goal is just to not have to relearn them and to take them to account. But yeah, you know how it is. it's hard to know who to trust, as you know. And like, as you're scaling these businesses, you trust becomes the most important thing especially when someone's working remote, can you even trust it? They're telling you the truth on the hours they're working. So it's very important. Um, so I, I mostly go with like intuition and gut feeling and trust. Um, plus someone needs to be able to write, obviously, but you, you can, if someone's got like a bit of an artistic flair, six weeks working with someone, you can get them to be pretty good. Uh, and then every now and again, you'll find someone who's like amazing. Um, but yeah, I think that from a management point of view, it's trust and like, I, I, don't, I, I WhatsApp voice messages. I'm big into voice messages. Like I leave my team voice messages all the time. Try and like find that line between being friendly and being boss man. And that's a, a line that I've struggled with a lot, but I think I've now found like a good balance. Okay. And I, I'm going to ask a redundant question just to see if we can get more out. So it uh, sounds like you mentioned Tools of Titans. I have all of Ferris's books behind me as well. Um, did you listen to a lot of podcasts or anything like that where you've picked up lessons from other people from their mistakes, right? So it's great to learn from your own, even better to learn from other people's mistakes. So anything else where it's really fucking hard to manage a team and to hire and all that stuff. So I'm just curious if there if there is anyone else that really inspired you. So uh chris williamson who runs the modern wisdom podcast there's often a lot of really great stuff on that um like he has some some like all stars on there and often they will drop good stuff and um, i would say that one of the most useful pieces of advice that i ever had was to plot stuff out on whiteboards and it sounds pretty obvious but like about seven eight years ago i discovered rolls of statically charged whiteboards and my house is completely covered in them. I've got about 20 up right now. Um, and I use it to put out projects. I use it to do all my strategy. I use it to track my habits. There is so much that you can do by turning every wall into a giant whiteboard. It might sound a little, 
like, like it looks a bit weird when people first come into my room they're like what is this but like it's uh it's, there's so much you can do so that's definitely a tool i would suggest people consider great okay and yeah another shout out for uh chris williamson i started following him a few years ago before he got big. Now he has like some of the biggest guests on his yeah. show. And literally, Will, today, I, I got goosebumps when you mentioned him. I was listening to an interview um, where he was on uh, a podcast called Mind Pump. Do you listen to that show too, mm-hmm. Mind Pump? I don't, but I've heard of it. Okay. So anyway, I was listening to Chris today and I was like, oh yeah, I haven't listened to him in a while, but he he has some great guests, very insightful, very interesting stories. So I encourage people to check out uh, modern wisdom. So, okay. I know we're not going to have time to hit everything. So I'm just going to relax a little bit here. <laughs> you mentioned Google updates um, yeah. already and how the SERPs have changed a little bit. Any other highlights um, along the way? I mean, you have a big site. It's been established. W- what's it like these days? I mean, we had a couple updates roll out at the end of 2023 here. It's definitely getting harder. I think. I think like there are, you know, there's there's peaks and there's dips, but I, I I think that overall it's getting harder. I think that overall more and more users are moving to platforms like TikTok, and I just do not want to engage. I, I just I just don't want to. I'm like, I'll be 35 in January. I'm trying to spend as little time on my phone as possible. Trying to read books and play with my dog. So yeah, um, I think that. Long term, I think that unfortunately less people are maybe reading. Um, something that I'm interested in is like uh, Google voice search and how to create content around that because I quite like talking. Um, so that's something that I, we are looking at. But like when it comes to like short form videos, I just don't want to do them. And I think that that is maybe something that will work against us in the long term, but it's just a decision that I've made. Um, I feel that like, Luckily, with the Breakback Packet, it is such a big site. And a lot of the earlier travels that I did, a lot of the earlier adventures that I had in places like Venezuela or the Philippines or Iran, I wrote a few stories for like the BBC, the Daily Mail. I've been on Business Insider, News.com, AU Forbes, like a whole bunch. And those you can't buy those links. And actually, you can't even really get them anymore. Like, unless you do something truly spectacular, they're no longer interested in those stories because they've done them a bunch. Um, so they're really hard to get. And, and we've got that backlink profile. So touch wood, fingers crossed. I feel that the broke backpacker is like unsinkable. I hope that it is. It seems so big at this point that I think it will continue. But I don't know if it will be possible to get it back to the numbers that we were hitting pre-COVID, just, just because of how much the SERPs have already changed. I don't suddenly see Google changing back to really loving long-form content. I think they will continue to pivot towards video. My hope, though, is that we're, we're not using any AI on the site, right? So my hope is that at some point, there will be a Google algorithm update which will completely tank AI travel sites because there's a few of them out there. Um, so that would make some more space at the top for sure. So we'll see. And you can't replace the authentic voice, right? That you spent so much time working on and then training your team. And there is so much content on your site as well. So yeah, it's been, it's been interesting to see. And I appreciate the 
your dislike of short form content. I don't even have TikTok on my phone. I try to stay away from the stuff and there will be, I'm like 10 years older than you. There will be um, old, old guys and gals like us that don't really want to spend more time on our phone and be, you know, really uh, captivated and brainwashed with a short form mm -hmm. video. Now that said, you like to talk. Have you thought about podcasting and YouTube? Yeah, I have thought about it and I've actually got a few episodes recorded and I intend on dropping something in the future. Um, I want to wait until I've got 10 episodes like in the chamber yeah. and then I'll right. pull, the, pull the trigger on that. Uh, but yes, that's what this colorful rug behind me was bought for. <laughs> got it. That's that's perfect. I, we'll, we'll talk later. I love the podcasting slash YouTube medium. And if you like to talk, then it, it's a perfect thing to do. So, okay. We hit some of the important steps of growth and other milestones. Is there anything else to mention here before we move on to diversifying and, and kind of what you did over time here? Any other big steps to grow your business? I think, I think we hit the main things. I think definitely making sure that you are constantly trying to negotiate with your affiliate partners until they no longer want to speak to you is like the way to go because uh, everything is negotiable, right? Um, I think that's important. I think staying organized, whether it's Trello or Asana or covering your room and whiteboards is really important. Um, and I think trying to find people um, who you can trust um, when you're hiring and building a team, I think the trust has to trump everything, even ability. Um, and that was the lesson that I learned the hard way. So that's definitely a top tip. And you had some partners over the years that you mentioned, and yeah. it sounded like some turned sour and things happened, Correct. right? Um, Currently, are, are you the sole owner of Brokeback, yes. the Brokeback Packer? Okay. And you, yeah, you, yeah, you're, yeah. Okay. And, yeah, I've, so I've, all, I've always been the sole owner of the Brokeback Packer, but on, on some of my other ventures, I've been um, like 50-50 partners, or there was one that was uh, three of us. Um, and... I would work with people again. I, I do have a 50 50 partner with my hostel, and like that's been a really incredible journey for us. And actually, something I didn't mention is um, we, we built this hostel from scratch in Bali, and it's the island's first co working hostel for like digital nomads, entrepreneurs. It's full all the time. We're expanding it so that we've also got like AC meeting rooms you can hire by the hour. Um, and yeah, it's, it's super popular, and uh, we'll be building a second one next year in the neighboring island of Lombok. And that was always kind of my dream. That was kind of my goal with Broke Backpacker was one day you will have a hostel. Um, so it's been a really interesting journey. We literally put all the money I had into it about a week before COVID hit. Um, so then that it was terrible. It was terrible. We thought it would take a year to build it to like three years because like, you know, they couldn't get the concrete in and then like the whole workforce would get like stranded in Java and I, I was just like biting my nails. I still haven't had any money out of it yet. But um, no, it's been, a, it's been a, a good journey and I'm excited for that. And I feel like that is a space in the market that isn't properly served. There's good co-working spaces out there. There's great hostels out there. There isn't really a combination of the two that's been done correctly yet. So that's what we're trying to do. Were you on the news for that particular? Uh, has anyone interviewed you about that project? I think, yeah. I've been interviewed a few times, but I couldn't exactly tell you by whom. Okay. I think I've seen it like on video. I think I saw you. I, like I just put it together. That's crazy. Okay. 
pretty cool. All right. Well, let's talk about diversifying into other stuff, just like the hostel. So did you, did you have in your mind, like, Hey, I want to do more than just the website or just as time went on and you, you thought, Hey, we could do physical products. Like they're selling a ton of these. Why don't we just be the supplier? Like how, how did it grow into what it was? Yeah, I think two two ways. Firstly, one was trying to continue to leverage the broad backpacker. So like if we're selling a lot of a product, well, hey, let's do our own product. Or if we're an authority on Pakistan, hey, let's run tours to Pakistan. Uh, if we're selling a lot of hostel bookings in Bali, hey, why don't we open a hostel in Bali? So it, it made sense. Um, but also, you know, like I, I, I love the broad backpacker. I've had periods of being less in love with it, but I, I love it for sure. It's been like my life's work. I enjoy writing. I enjoy like working with a team. Like it's it's mostly been a, an incredible job. Like honestly, um, so I have done a few other things, but it's more just been because I have a lot of ideas, and I've had some bad ideas, and I also had some pretty great ideas. I feel weren't given a full chance because of COVID. Um, overall, the broke backpacker was kind of the biggest and the last man left standing besides the hostel. Almost everything else I was doing was like, like, I had like a whole bunch of sites that were in like the incubation stage. I had like, I've been working for three years on this backpack, which was made out of like recycled ocean plastics. We sell a lot of backpacks and I was going to sell that. And then we like basically couldn't get the materials for like nine months and then the project just died. Um, and that, a lesson there as well was I was like, I can design a backpack. I've worn loads of backpacks and that was incorrect um so i think the lesson there was know when you can do something and know when you should delegate it to someone else um so yeah lessons have been learned and there's still some projects that i'm quite excited about getting off the ground over the next couple of years uh, the main one that i'm right working on at the moment is i'm writing another book um i have no idea when that will be ready but it will be ready at some point cool and you know it seems obvious in the way that you've told the story each one of the ventures sort of complemented the broke backpacker yeah. and that you were able to leverage your existing audience to sell products, something Tim Ferriss talks about all the time. And you see the examples of this, um, like Ryan Reynolds, right? He bought a steak in mint and then started promoting it because he has a lot of followers and I just switched yeah. to Mint Mobile. So anything else to add here? Again, it's kind of an obvious question, but I, I just want to let you talk about it if there's anything more that you want to mention. I think a lesson from the drop shipping side of things was I didn't uh, I didn't understand that you need to either have like a high ticket item or you need to be selling tens of thousands. Um, and that was why it was pretty good and not really good. Like, I think I could have got it to really good, but it was going to be a lot of work because our like highest ticket item was like, I think the profit was like $18 by the time it was there. It just wasn't enough um, for all of the work that went into it. And I think I did try a few other niches outside of travel. Um, I had some really weird and wonderful niches. Um, which which all died over COVID. Um, the next most logical jump for me was entrepreneurship and digital nomadism. So I had another site called Ditch Your Desk where I just posted free information. And that was pretty popular for a while. And then basically, again, when COVID came, I just sort of abandoned that project to focus on like the core. And I haven't gone back to it yet. I'm planning on doing something with it. Maybe I'll launch my podcast with the same name. I've got a whole whiteboard of names over there. I really haven't decided yet. Um, but I feel like 
knowing what your niche is and how big it is is important because the travel niche is massive. And then outside of the travel niche, you've got the digital nomad niche, which is like, this is how people actually get to travel forever is by making some kind of income online. So that's something that we've talked about a lot. And um, I was looking at doing like retreats to Bali where it would be like an entrepreneurship retreat, like spend a bit of time with me, spend a bit of time with a couple of other entrepreneurs, see the sides of Bali. And that's something that I'm looking at doing in the future. But um, it's also been an interesting journey as I've moved from like, in the past, I would go and do these tours in Pakistan and it would be about two and a half weeks, right, all in. Uh, and I'd make, you know, 10, 12 grand. And at the time, that was like a lot of money to me. And it's still a reasonable amount of money. But right now, do I want to fly to Pakistan and spend over two weeks like being in a service role and staying in a tent to make 10 grand? No, I do not. So I think it's important to try and figure out like what your time is worth. And that was another lesson for me. Like I realized that I was charging way too little for my time um, at, at certain points on my journey. Sure. And, you know, as we're getting older, you maybe have a little less energy and it's not as novel. Like you've done that trip several yeah. times, right? And it was probably really yeah. exciting the first time, but after 20, I don't know how many you've done, but after so many, it's just like the novelty has worn out and you want to do something else. You have a family, right? I want, no, no, okay. <laughs> I've got a bunch of dogs. I've got a bunch of dogs. Uh, I am recently separated, uh, but dating several wonderful people. So life is good. Okay. Great. Okay. I have a dog too. So but uh, regardless, oh, yeah. like there's other stuff that you can do aside from uh, doing the same trip over and over again. So you had uh, roughly 20 businesses under your belt. Do you have a specific process for identifying what you want to work on or certain opportunities? Yeah, for sure. Like, so back in the day, I put most of my time and energy into building up the content team and the processes that went into making great quality content at a price that made sense. So I spent a lot of time into building those processes. And then I was like, okay, the biggest resource that I've got after the Broke Backpacker is the team. So what other projects can I find where I can apply this team? What other niches exist out there where you can design a piece of content once, which you can then replicate a hundred times around usually a location would be this a series of content like best mechanics in brisbane and so on and um, so that was something i was trying to scale and was very interested in and my, my, my whole strategy was to go and buy sites on flipper for between five ten grand and throw ten grand worth of content at them a couple of grand worth of links and see what took off and i was doing pretty well with that actually like i had a few that you know had, had made their money back and then 10 15 20 grand here i had a couple that were like showing positive signs in the SERPs. But this was, a, it just all got crushed by COVID, basically. Um, I, had to, I had to pull in my spend from all of my experimental projects just to keep the Broke Backpacker alive and to be able to keep putting money into the hostel bill. So I pretty much just had to let everything else with on the vine. Um, but I felt like it wasn't so much that I was trying to identify opportunities that seemed like, oh, I think this will make a good site. I was more trying to identify what can I point my team at and, and what can my team do really well? Like my team probably can't do content that requires like a high level of specialist knowledge on, I don't know, insects, if you're going to do like pest control or whatever, but they probably could do something. Well, 
travel in Ishii, you know. Oh, so, like, but it got, it's, it's just so, there's so much within travel. Like, there's just there's so, there's so much you can do, honestly. Like, I was trying to, like, after business travel, family travel, single parent travel. Like, I found all, the, all these keywords and I was like, okay, well, I found a site here on Flipper that's got some decent links pointing towards it. It's three grand and it's got a name that could kind of work with family travel. So let's buy that and see, see how we do, you know? Got it. Okay. Yeah. Awesome way to look at it too, where you like, you have uh, sort of the momentum with the team and you need to keep them working. So you mentioned a couple uh, instances where you made a mistake. A- any others you mm-hmm. want to add in here, like a venture that didn't work out or just a silly blunder and mistake that you made? Honestly, I think that if COVID hadn't come along, we'd, be, we'd still be crushing it. <laughs> I mean, I made mistakes with trusting some people. Uh, I made mistakes with pricing some of my products wrong. I made mistakes with pricing my time wrong. Um, but overall, I think that I mostly invested my time and energy into into like building this team and, and, and to building the strategies. And it, it's mostly worked. I think having the ability to pivot quite quickly if someone new in the team isn't working or if some new series of content that you've tried isn't working or like rather than to just nip it in the bud to try experimenting with sending it in a different direction. I think that I've probably lost money by not doing that fast enough, um, but I've gotten better with, better at that over time. Is there some, you know, for the listener out there, is there some KPI or criteria that you're looking for where you're thinking this isn't working let's pivot a little bit versus let's just uh stop doing this whole idea so i'm embarrassed by how i'm going to answer which is that i don't know how to use spreadsheets um i I actually don't know what i don't know what a kpi is um i tend to eyeball things to get all the numbers in front of me so eyeball the series to be like right this series is bringing in x amount of traffic and it's only bringing in y amount of revenue Therefore, I think it's underperforming. Why is it underperforming? Get in there. I've been looking at content for a long time now, but like, okay, this shouldn't be here. It should be here. This should be up here. Let's try this over here. Let's change the bus and colors. And I'll just tweak it, play with it, and I'll be like, right, guys, this is the new version. Go and do it 200 times. And it doesn't always work, but often when I spend a bit of time playing around with things, it will improve. Okay. Sorry about that. It's key performance indicator. And you, you answered it like you, you knew what it was, by the way. So you'll you'll get the numbers. You'll check it out. Yeah, well, you're you're good. Sorry about that. Okay. So you know, big traveler and do you consider yourself a digital nomad or do you move around a lot? Can you talk about your lifestyle a little bit? Yeah, I'm so I'm in Bali about six months of the year. Uh, and then I tend to travel about the other six months of the year. So I, I do travel quite a lot. Um, this year I've been to New Zealand, um, Japan, Peru, Thailand. I'm about to go back to New Zealand and then to Vietnam and then back to Thailand. I, I'm all over the place next year. So I do have a base here. I've got my dogs. Um, I have my Indonesian mother who takes very good care of me and looks after my dogs when I'm not here. Um, and Bali is definitely home for me for now, but I, I still love traveling. So I think that until until I do meet one very special lady and settle down with her, 
Um, I think that I'll continue to be on the road quite a lot. Um, I, te- I, do- I tend to not introduce myself as a digital nomad, though. Like, I tend to not introduce myself as a travel blogger. Um, because I, I don't want anyone to think I'm an influencer because I'm so I'm so against influencers. <laughs> so um, I, I tend to just sound like a location independent entrepreneur, which now that I think about it, is quite a mouthful to be honest. But um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, you know, f- funny thing. Uh, like my wife and I, we we traveled domestically here in the U.S. for a few years around the time frame that, that you were mentioning, like 2013, 2015, around that time frame and for some reason i i never identified even though we literally like were location independent and i was an entrepreneur like i never said i was a digital nomad for some reason i, I felt like it wasn't grounded and I, I don't know i just felt weird about it influencers weren't as big back then but um i appreciate your uh comments about that so um well how has this you know lifestyle the travel how has it impacted the business decisions or the businesses that you're running? Yeah, I mean, so I tend to work really intensely for a period of time and then take take, take a decent period of time off where I'll just do like four hours a week and check in on my team pretty much. Uh, and I'll be off for like two months and then I'll come back and I'll work really, really intensely again. I'll make sure everybody knows what they're doing. I'll do like a six-month strategy I'll give that to my team and I'll take time off again. So you don't have to do it like that. I know plenty of people that prefer to work regular hours, but I like to do it like that because when I'm working, I'm working. And if, if I'm thinking about work, I'm thinking about work. So like I, I need to make that, that, that cutoff time. It's like, okay, well, you're now going to put your laptop down and you're going to go out into the mountains for a couple of weeks and you're going to think about what you want to do with your life rather than just like continuing to like, like I don't know, chase the dollars, chase the goals. Like I, I'm sure you've experienced this on your journey, but I reach a goal. I'm automatic. Like I, I've gotten better, but I used to take no time to celebrate at all. And I would immediately like throw another goal far, far away and start marching towards that goal in the distance. Um, and I've, I'm trying to stop doing that. I'm trying to be like, Oh, well done. You reached this goal. Maybe you should like go out and stop working for a little bit rather than just smashing through because i think there's a lot of successful entrepreneurs find it becomes a habit and it's it's a strength right but it can it can be a weakness from the point of view of like your life if you don't get it right for sure yep i identify with that completely in fact uh, my i have another podcast my co-host and i were writing a book on we're we're calling it the lazy book but it's really like anti-productivity and this guy he retired when he was 43 his name's carl jensen but he he kept working on like home projects so so he's really just been busier for the last five years because he keeps setting like other goals and saying yes to too many things and i have seen people ahead of me so i've like slowly been more and more idle but i know what you're saying it's like you got to take the time off now i want to dive into your schedule a little bit because you mentioned when you take the time off you're like four hours a week i love that schedule i like being able to just like focus hard you know work normal hours and then when you're off like you're not checking email you don't need to check in at all so how long are those periods of time where you're taking time off versus a sprint of work 
Well, it depends. So I recently did um, three weeks in Peru. Uh, I was actually on an ayahuasca retreat and like, I, I didn't even have my phone for like two weeks. So I couldn't look at it even if I wanted to. Uh, and that, that was amazing. It was, the, it was the longest, like pure, real digital detox I've ever done, two weeks. And it was insane. I, I've got quite a good system with my phone anyway, because I've got two phones. And at like 7.30 p.m., the main phone goes in a box and the secondary phone comes out, which it's all podcasts and music. And like, I've got my mum on there and I've got like three other people on there. There's no social media on there. So that works really well for me. And it's necessary because all of my team talks to me via WhatsApp. So like, I have to have some kind of disconnect. Um, and when I'm traveling, I try to mostly be off my main phone altogether. And I'll just like log onto my laptop like for one and a half hours or an hour, like three or four times a week. And it's enough. It's enough to get rapid fire caught up. I might do some writing work in between, but like the writing work that I do for the Broke Backpacker doesn't make me any money. I do it because I enjoy it. It's not like affiliate posts. It's like my stories from being on the road. So that, that's more fun thing for me, to be honest. Uh, but yeah, I think the disconnect is super important. Um, I'll be doing like four months uh, next year where I'm planning on only working like four hours a week. That'll be the longest I've done for a while. Uh, but then when I come back, I'll probably settle into a good routine for like three months and just smash through some work, smash through some fitness because it's it's hard to stay fit on on the road as well, which is like the main reason I always end up coming back to Bali because I'm like, okay, we need to, need to get in the gym, man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know what you mean. I just traveled a bunch over the summer and yeah, put on a few pounds and I've been like, lifting a little bit more, watching the diet, stop drinking so much, that sort of thing. So, okay. As we're wrapping up here, I'm going to ask a question that we didn't have on the list here, but I think you'll do fine here, Will. So there's uh, quite a few like travel bloggers in the audience out there or people that are aspiring. So the landscape of SEO has changed. If you, Will, were starting today, what platform would you use? Would it be a blog, podcast, YouTube, uh, social, knowing your personality, right? And what work you like to do, just what would you do? And can you talk a little bit about the approach that you would take? Yeah. So I think the first thing that I would ask myself is, do I want to create an income so that I have freedom and can travel or do I specifically want to run a travel blog? Because travel blogging is the most visible digital nomad job, and it's what most people think of when they think of creating some kind of online income. It's also one of the most competitive and one of the most difficult ones to actually do well in. It's a lot sexier than like doing local SEO for, I don't know, a lawn mowing business, but you might be able to build that up much faster and get it onto autopilot much quicker. So I think that's a question that you definitely have to ask yourself. If, however, you have like a burning desire to share your travels with people and you're willing to niche down enough and to go out somewhere like special, Central Africa hasn't been done properly, like parts of South America still aren't properly covered, there's still opportunity out there for sure for displaying like raw, rough, real travel, like get a motorbike, drive it from the top of the world to the bottom. People will love that. But yeah, for sure, you'd have you'd have to use social media. Like, I don't see how you couldn't 
Um, I actually did pretty well on Snapchat before I rage quit it a few years ago. I've never really done anything with my Instagram. Um, but I think that you can, you can find a balance of, at the end of the day, like video is the best way to build a connection with your audience, right? You get your face in front of them. You can show them exactly where you are. I think it's hard to do it well. And I think that the people who I know who have done it well have been all consumed by it. So I think it's like a difficult balance to get right. Um, but if you decide you do want to go down the travel blogging route, I would say you need to understand it's, it's busy. It's a busy space. And to do well in it, you're going to need to work for two years with no expectation of making any money. And you're going to need to do something a bit different. If you want to go to Thailand and go down Koh San Road and you think that that's content that's going to help you stand out, you are incorrect. You need to go and do something different. You probably need to be quite brave and push yourself out of a comfort zone. And you need to be real. You've got to be real. Like, I think that one of the reasons that I was successful is I have always been quite open about talking about, like, uh, that I was bullied quite a lot, that I had, like, quite a lot of issues with body image. I've had, like, a lot of problems with drugs and alcohol throughout my life, and I've talked about it. I was addicted to porn for a few years, and I've talked about it. And I think all of this has made me more relatable because I've fucked up a lot. And usually people who are reading or watching me have fucked up in at least one of those ways. And they're like, oh, well, you know what? This guy seems like actually he's kind of on it and he's out there and he's having some cool experiences. So maybe I'm not a total fuck up if he's made these same mistakes and people relate and then they're just, they're invested at that point. So I think that getting that right and being honest and true is valuable. That's a great answer. And we are, we're coming up on the end of time. So I'm going to let you go. Will here in a second. What's next for the broke backpacker? You mentioned the book, potential podcast. Like what do you have coming up in the next say six months or so? So at the moment we're looking at land in Lombok um, to open our second tribal hostel, which is going to be much bigger. Really, really excited for this project. Personally, for me, I've got like a lot of cool travels coming up next year. I'll be going and doing a second ayahuasca retreat in Ecuador, which I'm really excited about. The first one was amazing. It like blew my mind. I got to see all of my childhood trauma and like all of the stuff that's wrong with me and all of the stuff that's right with me. And it was a very empowering experience. So I'm excited to go back. Uh, I'll be traveling around Peru, Ecuador, USA, Burning Man. So uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be around. Um, and then, yeah, I'm writing this book. I'm working on this podcast. And those are my big kind of creative projects at the moment. I pretty much stopped at this point delving into, I definitely went through a period of like grab every opportunity that you see, throw everything at the book, at the wall and see what sticks. And I'm a, I wouldn't say I'm more, I was about to say I'm more cautious, but I would say I'm more, I've just seen that it maybe makes sense to spend a little bit more time considering your decisions because even if you are somebody with like considerable amounts of energy, like throwing all that stuff at the wall, grabbing every opportunity, it can be quite draining. And I think it's important to try and choose what to spend your energy on. So I'm trying to be a bit more selective. Awesome. Well, where can people find you? Well, I'm on Instagram, even though I've spent most of these episodes slagging off social media at Will Hatton underscore underscore. Uh, the website is thebrokebatpacker.com. Uh, the best thing to do is to subscribe to the newsletter because I write that and that goes out once a week. And that is where I shall announce the launch of more fun projects. If you want to actually find me though, 
you can come to Bali and you can come stay at my hostel, which is Tribal Bali. I'm there a couple of times a week. And if you beat me at pool or chess, which you might, you win a coffee. So come find me. All right. This has been amazing. And I hope we could catch up soon. Would love to hear about, you know, things as you're launching them and all that kind of stuff. So thanks a lot, Will. Yeah, thanks for your son. That was fun. Appreciate it.